0: We're in the book of first Corinthians and we have titled this series church health matters Church health matters and in the book of first Corinthians the apostle paul deals with matters of church health And he highlights how important it is for churches to be healthy He addresses the dysfunction in the relationships He addresses the number of issues that the corinthians need addressed with biblical truth with theology Uh, about god of who who god is and what christ has done gospel truth he gives a whole chapter on first corinthians 15 defending the resurrection he gives a whole chapter on love explaining that this is what matters most this is how we are to live as believers in christ healthy churches love people healthy churches are centered on the gospel Okay, and so he spends a a good amount of time addressing these issues. Healthy churches walk together in unity. And there's uh, healthy churches have order and peace amongst them in relationships and in their services we'll start looking at the order of service in first corinthians chapter 11 and 12 and 13 and 14 we'll get into spiritual gifts which i'm excited about talking uh, about with you guys uh, we have a few guest speakers who are going to come uh, in july which i'm also excited about uh, uh one of them robert reed he's going to preach on first corinthians 12 and so he'll be able to address some of that um but uh anyhow one of the marks of a healthy church is that, or a healthy Christian, is that they live for the glory of God and the good of others. They live for the glory of God and the good of others. And if you're around me, you'll hear me talk about those two things. Often in prayer, or just in my mind, I think about, in making decisions, and, 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 and uh, and how I live, and how I counsel people, a question that often comes through my mind is god honored in this how is god glorified in this and then how is this going to help somebody how is this going to do any good to somebody and i think it's a question that the apostle paul sets up for the christian church to consider themselves because they they had a tendency to focus just on themselves self-expression individualism i'm free to do whatever I want and be myself. And the Apostle Paul clearly affirms that Christians are free. And we've talked about this. Christians are free. We're not to get under a yoke of illegalism and we're not to get under a yoke of trying to please people in an unhealthy way to get the approval of people. We're to live for the glory of God. We're to use our freedom To serve one another in love. Use our freedom to honor God. Use our freedom and gifts and strengths to serve others. And so let me just start with this question. When was the last time that you've slowed down enough to think about your life and to think about the question, why do I do this? This particular thing. You know if you, if you work an hour or forty five minutes away from your job, do you when's the last time you considered why do I drive forty five minutes through traffic every morning, and back? Why do I do this to myself? <laughs> um, or or you know, there's this tendency that we have in life to just kind of just get in these ruts and just go and just and not really think about why we're doing what we're doing. We're just doing the what, just the the, the grind, the nine to five. And we get in those ruts in relationships as well. We get we develop all kinds of habits, which we talked about at the beginning of this year. Or maybe when was the last time you asked yourself, uh, why do I watch so much TV? Or look at the news so much? Or sh- the social media feed? Or or listen to talk radio? Or listen to so much music? Or why do I spend so much time with food, thinking about what to eat and where to eat? And it just takes up chunks of our time. This is, these aren't bad things. Why do I spend so much time on my lawn? Those of you who love taking care of your lawn or working on your house, sprucing up the house. Why do I do this? Why am I doing this? Because you have those moments of frustration where you spend time and money trying to fix something up and it doesn't turn out like you want it to be. And, and And then you ask yourself why. I'm speaking for myself here why do we play games with our kids why do we exercise regularly or not or why do we vacation so much or or why do we work so much and not take a break enough why am i serving in the church or volunteering uh for some cause why do we have our kids in sports like we got three sports we're trying we're just running to and fro to get our kids into sports we're not against sports. Our, we did soccer uh this this year and it was great. There was one practice and there was one game and it was peaceful, it was pleasant. Two of our kids were in there, and we we had fellowship, connection, it was great. But if we had to shuffle each one of our kids to two different sports and have our whole schedule filled, I would have to ask myself, why are we doing this? <laughs> okay. And so why are we doing what we're doing? And the Apostle Paul uh, sets before us this overarching uh, um, aim for us as believers that you and I are to do everything that we do for the glory of God, whether you eat or whether you drink, do it all for the glory of God. I've titled this message, Living for the Glory of God. And if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, starting in verse 23. He says, all things are lawful. This is a quote. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, quote, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If any one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any questions on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. But I I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience if i partake with thankfulness why am i denounced because of that for which i give thanks so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do do all for the glory of god give no offense to the jews or to the greeks or to the church of god just as i try to please everyone in everything i do not seeking my own advantage but that of many that they may be saved. And all God's people said, amen. amen. So here's our big idea this morning. God calls his people to live for his glory and for the good of others in every aspect of their lives, even down to the eating and the drinking of that juicy cheeseburger that you're gonna get after church with, with sweet potato fries. Every bite, take it in for the glory of God. Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Now, I'm going to go a little topical here, and that's what we're going to talk about. I'm going to try to unpack what it looks like for us to glorify God. I'm going to give you nine different ways that we can glorify God. But before we do, um, let me... Just say this, that first of all, God created us for his glory. Isaiah 43 says that he he created Israel for his glory. Colossians 1 16 says that for by him, all things were created. All things were created through him and for him. Okay, now this may be new for somebody here today. But it's not about you. And I'm not trying to be mean, because I need to hear that often. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about you. The world doesn't orbit around you. It's about Jesus, the Son of God. He's the center. You and I don't have what it takes to hold everything together. But He does. And it's good that it's all about him, that this life and this world and everything that's created, that it's all about him because he's good and he's powerful and he's wise and he can keep it all going and make his creatures or his children happy at the same time. So we're created for his glory. God created mankind in his image, male and female God created his people to image him, to reflect the glory and the beauty of who he is. God created people to represent him on earth. All right? We're representatives. We represent God, humanity. Every person bears the image of God. And for those of us who are Christians, it's even more explicit that you and I are ambassadors. And we represent Christ. We're ambassadors for Christ. And so we're created for the glory of God. We're commanded to glorify God. And a lot of people, like I've mentioned, like Oprah Winfrey and others, have a hard time with this concept of god and, and and when I hear stuff like this that, that god creates people for his glory it, it sounds almost like god is selfish and there's something wrong about that and it would be if he wasn't god but he is god and 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 he can sustain and satisfy and he can save and he can give all of creation what creation needs he opens his hands and he satisfies the desire of every living thing the psalmist says and so he's worthy of receiving glory. He's, he's worthy of creating beings, creating beings in his image that reflect his glory on the earth. So he created us for his glory. We're commanded to glorify God in the text today, 1 Corinthians 1030 31. Whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. A parallel text to that is Colossians 3:17. And whatever you do. I got the slugs and bugs song in my head. And whatever you do, woo, no, 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 no. whatever you do, I'll have to send it to you. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to, the, to God the Father through him. So we're created for the glory of God. We're commanded to glorify God. But here's the problem. You and I have all failed in some way or another to give God the glory that he's due, Romans 3:23 puts it like this: for all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. Now, if you want to argue that, that you, you're not in that category, we're going to talk to your spouse or your kids. And the scripture is very clear that we're all guilty of sin, and Jesus came to save sinners. and so we've failed to reflect God as we ought to in our attitudes and our words, and our actions, and we've damaged our relationships, and we've damaged ourselves, and going our own way, and rejecting God, our creator's way. We've all sinned, we're all guilty. But the, 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 good, the it, there's good news. There's not just bad news here. The good news is that Jesus stepped in, and he took on a human body, and he flawlessly glorified God for roughly 33 years here in this world. And he did what God the Father had called him to do. He lived for the will of the Father, for the glory of the Father, and for the good of people. Acts, Luke says in Acts 10 that he went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed of the devil. And as we see in this passage that the glory of God and, and the well-being and the good of people are closely tied together. And Jesus' life testifies to that. Jesus said at the end of his life in John 17, in his great high priestly prayer to the Father, he said, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Jesus did everything that the Father gave him to do. Wouldn't you like to be able to say that at the end of your life? That you're, you obeyed the Father in every aspect, in every assignment, every task, you passed. You passed. You didn't fall short wouldn't you like to say that I'd like to say that as well But you know what we need a savior We need the righteousness of our savior Because our righteousness doesn't measure up to his perfect obedience and his righteousness And that comes to us through faith through trusting in jesus christ and receiving jesus christ and when we do that He makes us new creations If any man be in Christ Jesus, he's a new creation. The old is past. Behold, all things are new. And and as new creations, we are given the capacity to glorify God. We're created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in. Okay? Jesus suffered and died on the cross for you and me to redeem and rescue us and restore us. And to right relationship with God. And to reflect the glory of God as God intends for us to. And to render glory to God as he intends us to. So let's look at nine different ways that we can glorify God. I think we all know. And by the way, I love to ask the question when I'm at a restaurant or just even last night. My wife and I, by the, let, me, let, me just, let me just put a plug here. Today is our 12th anniversary. Um, I was just reminded, I don't know what reminded me of that here. Um, but let me just, uh, let me just pause and honor my wife here for a moment. We were, I, I, that's, I, that's we were, we went to dinner last night and I got to share the gospel with somebody. Um, but let me just say Kendall in the middle of this sermon, side note <laughs> that it is such a joy to be your husband, to be able to do life with you and glorify God together in our family to reflect his love and his faithfulness to one another, to our children, and to others. And I am grateful for your gentle spirit, your hope in God, and the way that you glorify God by embracing who God has designed you to be and just walking in that for his glory and for the good of others. So, sorry, I wasn't planning on that. So we were at dinner last night, and I got an opportunity to share the gospel with a young man, 13-year-old, riding his bike by. And uh, one of the questions that I like to ask people a lot is, hey, what do you think your purpose is in life? What are, what are you here for? We asked the, the guy who took, us, took our order last night at Bella Green's. This guy named John, and he's 22 years old, just graduated college, smart guy. And he just, he doesn't really know. He used to have faith in God, but he doesn't really know God. And I just explained to him how I've found purpose in knowing God in my relationship with him. And and if somebody were to ask me that, why am I here? What's your purpose? Because sometimes they'll do that. Well, what about you? What do you say? What are you here for? A simple answer that I'll give is I'm here to glorify God and do good to others. Now, I know that can sound cliche, and I've heard plenty of other people say that we're here to glorify God. We're, we're going to do this for the glory of God. And so we want to unpack that today. What does that mean to live for the glory of God? What is the glory of God? How do how do we do this as Christians First of all, we we glorify God by exalting God's name with praise. Just like we did this morning. I think God was honored with the praise of his people this morning. The psalmist in Psalm 63, verse 3, it says, Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. Luke 18, 43, after Jesus had healed a guy and given him his sight, Immediately, he recovered his sight and and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, they gave praise to God. And so, the word glory in the Greek is doxa. It's used 166 times in the New Testament. Doxa. Okay, the Old Testament word, the Hebrew word is uh, kabod. It's like weightiness, like you, you, experience the weight of God. The glory of God is experienced and felt. Doxa is the is the New Testament word that is used for glory, and it means a uh, a seeming appearance, a notion, an imagination, opinion. The opinion which obtains respecting one, reputation, credit, honor, glory, praise. Sometimes translated praise, glorification, honor, and then uh one of the words translated praise another which is, is very similar and close to doxas dox dox doxazo doxa, doxa doxo um it's in, which is translated praise it means to think to suppose to judge to extol to magnify okay to magnify to, to put magnification on to highlight to praise and that's what we do in worship and and that's one of the reasons I love singing to God I love worshiping God in song because we live in a fallen broken world that's really messed up it's war-torn there's sickness there's there's hatred and there's violence there's pain there's disappointments and when we worship God we focus our attention on the one who is flawless who's beautiful, who's lovely, who's glorious, who's wise, who's kind, who's patient. And we focus in on who he is. And it's refreshing to our hearts and minds living in a post-Genesis 3 world. It's refreshing to be reminded of who God is. is, And then respond to who he is with joy and delight and praise and adoration and pour out our hearts to him and experience his presence and experience his delight over us. Do you know the Bible says that God sings over his people? Zephaniah 3.17 God, he rejoices and sings over his people. He's the singing God. And and, and in worship, there's this mutual delight. Our delight in God and expressing, enjoying God and praising God. and, And he delights in us and we experience intimacy with the living God. It's powerful. And some of the weights that we're carrying just loosen up, and kind of, kind of like dirty d- dishes that need warm soapy water. Warm soapy water. Just let them soak, and as we worship and sing to God, just God loosens the crustiness in our lives, the attitudes, the gunk, cleans it off. We get a glimpse of who He is. Another way to glorify God is to enjoy him. Enjoy the gifts that he gives. Psalm 37 says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. You see, God's glory and our joy are not at odds with one another. They're not. God's actually most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in him. Amen? That's, and so when we enjoy God and the good gifts that He gives us, He gets glory. I mean, parents, I mean, just let's think about Christmas time for a second. Those of you who do gift giving at Christmas time, isn't it satisfying at Christmas time when you give the right gift to the right child at the right time? And they're happy and they're delighted. And they they just come and say, Oh, mom and dad, you're just the best mom and dad in the world. I love you. And they praise you. It's like that's that's amazing, right? That feels good to see our children happy and delighted. And and especially when they don't idolize the gift. Okay, that's always that's always a challenge. Like, okay, don't love this too, don't love this more than God. All right, and don't love us more than God. Um Paul says, eat whatever eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any questions on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. He's quoting Psalm 24. Here's the theological basis why Paul is, is saying just eat the meat that's sold in the market. Even though it's been offered to idols. Don't worry about it. Okay? Idols are nothing. But on on, on the flip side, Paul tells the Christians, don't go into the temple, the pagan temples, and participate in worship by having a meal in the temple. Because behind those dead idols or, or false gods, there are demonic powers that are being worshiped and communed with. Paul says, just don't do that. Just don't do that. But, like, if you go over to somebody's house and you're eating and they're not a believer, just eat it. Just eat the food. Eat what's set before you, even if you're picky. Just eat it with gratitude for the glory of God. I mean, like, even if they, you know, put down an octopus on the table or something, like, I don't know about that. I'm not going to eat that. Um, Eat it for the glory of God and for the good of others. Don't cause an offense. Or maybe it's pork. You're not a big pork person. You're, you like to eat kosher. Enjoy it for the glory of God and the good of people. God is glorified in that. In 1 Timothy 6:17, uh, he Paul instructs Timothy to to tell the rich. He says, "As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty or set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to what? Enjoy don't feel guilty as you're enjoying your swimming pool. Others may envy you in Texas right now for your swimming pool. But enjoy it and swim for the glory of God. Invite others over, over like us to swim and eat for the glory of God. Enjoy it. Don't be like, oh, well, gosh, I shouldn't have this nice swimming. Enjoy it for the glory of God and be generous with others. Invite the whole church over for a party. Just kidding. I'm just, I'm, I'm losing it here. Enjoy God and enjoy his gifts. Um, I, by the way, I, let me just say, I love summertime. Um, summertime is really sweet to me for a number of reasons. One, we just get more time with the kids. Uh, you know, we're about to go to camp and enjoy family camp and just get to focus on Jesus and enjoy life and the gift of life and... Um, And and to be able to teach them more about Jesus during that time and to be able to enjoy more fun things like swimming and, you know, we have a checklist that we're we're bucket list for the summer. We're trying to check off, you know, skating was one of them. They went without me. Roller skating. I'm disappointed. Uh, Ice skating, you know, like like have fun for the glory of God. Enjoy the gifts of life. Um. John Piper says this, and if there's anybody who's written um, the most on this, I mean, he's probably the one who's written the most on this particular issue. He is known for this, highlighting uh, delight and joy in God. He He's the one who coined the phrase taken from the Westminster Catechism, which says, the chief end to man is, what is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. Piper says, God is most glorified in us When we're most satisfied in him. God made us he says. To magnify his greatness. The way telescopes magnify stars. He created us to put his goodness and truth. And beauty and wisdom and justice on display. The greatest display of God's glory. Comes from deep delight in all that he is. This means that God gets the praise. And we get the pleasure. God created us so that he is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. How else can we glorify God? Number three, we can exercise faith and obedience in God. No unbelief, uh, in, in Romans chapter four, uh, Paul gives the example of Abraham. And it says, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in faith. And what did he do? He gave glory to God. He was fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. John Murray says to give glory to God is to reckon God to be what he is and to rely upon his power and faithfulness. God's glorified when we trust him. He's glorified when we trust him. Kind of like uh, in, Piper uses the illustration of a uh, of a bridge. Uh, suppose it's your duty to, to glorify the strength of a new metal alloy that holds up a bridge. How do you glorify the strength of the metal? Not by working hard to provide some extra supports, but by getting in your car with all your family and trusting the bridge with your life as you peacefully drive across without anxiety. You glorify strength by trusting it, not by working By trusting it, not by working to supplement it. So the duty to glorify power is not a burden. It's a restful pleasure. We trust God and he's glorified when we trust him. Those of us who are parents want our kids to trust us, right? Especially when we know better in a particular area. And it's a delight when they trust us. They trust the wisdom of mom and dad. They trust that mom and dad is for them. And is seeking their best interests. Also exercising obedience. Jesus obeyed the father perfectly. He glorified God. In his obedience. He glorified the father. In everything that he did. Um, we, we've taught our kids. the Part of the new city catechism. And one of the questions in there. And it comes with the song. How can we glorify God? Okay. By loving him. By obeying Him and keeping His commands and law. That's the answer. We glorify God by enjoying Him, loving Him, trusting Him, and obeying His will, His commands and law. This is how we glorify God. How else do we glorify God? And this is found in the text. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we engage in doing good works. Notice all these are, they start with an E. Uh, i 'm a preacher, and that 's what I like to do is try to try to create something that helps me remember this is how we glorify God so nine e's to glorifying God we engage in good works first corinthians ten twenty three and twenty four all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. all things are lawful and again paul is quoting uh, he 's quoting the corinthians theologians point out he 's quoting he 's quoting a slogan that they had. Okay, and he, they did, he quoted this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 as he was, as he was arguing for sexual purity and glorifying God in their sexual purity. And, you know, perhaps they were using that, hey, all things are lawful for us, right? And, and perhaps that kind of thinking was leading them to lawless living in their sexual relationships. And so, he quotes that, he says, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. You see, God is glorified when we seek the good of our neighbors, when we're not just thinking about ourselves. We're not just in it for ourselves. We're thinking about other people. We're reflecting the character of Jesus when we do that. When we're thinking about other people, how is this going to affect my neighbor when I throw my lawn clippings on their side of the street? It's going to offend them. Okay, don't do it or blow them on the other side of the street. Shh, you know, how is this going to affect my neighbor? <laughs> um, and so think about others. Um, it's been said that, you know, if we're going to walk in joy, we we need to have these priorities. J, Jesus, oh, others, why yourself? You prioritize Jesus, others and self. You'll experience joy. As we sang about this morning. Jesus said in Matthew 5 16, he says, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good words. Oh, he didn't say that, did he? He said, good works and give glory to your father who is in heaven. Now, we need to, we need to speak good words, gospel words. But we also need to have those gospel words married and tied together with good works. And Jesus says the response to that is that unbelievers will see, others will see and they'll give glory to our Father in heaven who it is that we represent. Another way that we can give glory to God is by expressing gratitude to God. Just simple thanks, just saying thank you. I mean, just think about all that, that you have right now in life. It's easy to take for granted our blessings, isn't it? I mean, did you have breakfast this morning? Do you have an AC in your home? Do you have family members? you have clothes on, shoes on your feet? There's a number of physical provisions that God has given us. There are a number of spiritual blessings that God has given us. Are you, As we were singing about today, are you forgiven? Are you redeemed? Are you accepted? Is God making a way, a path of grace for you? Is he intimately involved in your life? Do you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you? Do you have hope? Do you have purpose? A reason to get up in the morning and, and the ability to fight through whatever depression or darkness comes your way? You do. You, you are blessed, saints. God has blessed you with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. And what the enemy wants us to do is he wants wants to get us focused on what we don't have and get us discontent with what we have, the, the, the sufficient provision that God has given us. He wants us to be discontent and ungrateful for what we do have. God's glorified when we thank him, when we enjoy what we have and we thank him and we share what we have. Paul alludes to this in the verses prior in 1 Corinthians 10, 30, He says, if I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced? Because of that for which I give thanks. So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. I love this verse in 2 Corinthians four fifteen. It says, for, for it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God y'all see that domino effect? God gives grace, undeserved blessings, unmerited blessings, okay? And the domino effect is gratitude, grace. People come to faith, okay, as they experience saving grace and it causes thanksgiving and then it leads to the glory of God. And so God is glorified when we thank him. Another way that God is glorified is when we evangelize the lost. Now, I know some of y'all may not like that word too much. It's just it, Evangelism is just simply sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, of what he came to do, dying for our sins, rising from the dead, and calling people to respond in repentance, to turning from their sinful ways, and respond in faith in Jesus Okay, that's what evangelism is. And Paul alludes to that here in First Corinthians chapter ten, twenty seven. He says if if one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go eat, eat whatever is set before you. By the way, dinner parties and connections with unbelievers is a great is a great avenue for evangelism. Very effective. There are there are approaches in event evangel- the Alpha course and and different different uh, courses that have been used in that way that are very effective. Jesus did so much ministry around the table, didn't he? He was eating with tax collectors and sinners. What is he thinking? He was sharing good news, changing people's lives, and we can do the same. I love how Dick. Dick is very intentional to do this in, in, in his neighborhood. I, probably everyone on the block knows him and has probably had an invitation to come have dinner in his backyard on the porch, hear some stories, and he just puts them together. I love I love how he does that. By the way, if you yeah if you want to uh, organize an evangelistic dinner dinner time talk to Dick Wakeman and he can give you some some uh, some some encouragement and and maybe even open up his uh, backyard for you to come. <laughs> um. So Paul says, eat whatever's, if you go and you're, uh, eat whatever's set before you. And then he says, Paul says, I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but, but that of many that they may be saved. Now is Paul, is Paul contradicting himself with what he says in Galatians 1 when he says, if I try to, if I'm a people pleaser, if I'm trying to please man, then I'm no longer a servant of Christ. Is he contradicting himself here? I don't think he is. I think what he 's talking about in in, in uh, galatians uh, chapter one he 's talking about trying to avoid persecution and and pleasing people to avoid persecution and, and and giving in to that peer pressure but here this is this is an evangelistic focus he, his aim is that people get saved that people come to know jesus unbelievers verse twenty seven that they come to know Jesus and experience salvation. He doesn't do it for his own advantage, to save his own tail. But he does it to reach people for the glory of God. As I've said, you know, I um, I like to oftentimes will change my, um, my tone of voice. My wife makes fun of me in reaching people. Um, I'll bust out some Spanish that I know. Uh, if it's young people with their hats backwards and their pants down low, I'll, I'll you know, be like, what's up, man? What's up, bro? You know, and and just, and try to become all things to all people that I might reach some, right? I mean, and that was Paul's approach. He adapted. He wasn't stuck in some religious crust that he, you know, couldn't adapt enough to meet sinners where they were. Of course, he didn't, like Jesus, he held to his biblical convictions, Um. But Paul Paul was willing to adapt. He was willing to, if he was hanging out with Jews, he wasn't going to eat the bacon on the table. He wasn't. He wasn't going to cause an offense. He wasn't going to order the bacon. He wasn't going to order the pork chop if he's hanging out with the Jews. Okay? Um, and so another way we glorify God is by evangelizing the lost. When spiritually blind and deaf people are enabled to hear and see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, God is glorified. God is glorified in saving sinners by grace through faith, taking broken people and broken marriages and broken families and bringing renewal and bringing restoration and bringing healing. Love psalms. 96 we started off with this this morning oh sing to the lord a new song sing to the lord all the earth sing to the lord bless his name tell of his salvation from day to day declare his glory among the nations his marvelous works among all the peoples what's it going to take for us to do this it's going to take for our hearts to be set ablaze for god To get our eyes off of ourself and get so consumed with the glory and the beauty of who he is. And out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, Jesus said. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. That's worship and praise to God. Overflow. Let it flow. Okay? And that is praise about God and telling of his salvation, declaring his glory. Overflow. And telling the lost about Jesus. Same heart, same spring. Worship, witness. And I'm passionate about both. Paul was passionate about both. He said, whether whether I live or die, Christ is going to be glorified, magnified in my body. If I die, I get to go be with Jesus. That's a good thing. That's better. But it's needful. It's, It's important for me to stay so I can be a blessing to you guys and there can be fruit from my labor and continue the gospel work and so here's a man who lived for the glory of god right dads and moms when your children look at you do they think the same thing do they think my mom and my dad they love god they god is more important to them than anything and so another way that we can glorify God is by exhibiting Christ-likeness. At the end of this section, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, Paul says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Imitate me as I'm imitating Jesus. Jesus came and he took on flesh and he dwelt among us and he got down on our level amongst humanity, amongst the dirty, stinky human beings, <laughs> sinful Human beings, he was full of grace and truth. He displayed the glory of who God is. And when we look at Jesus, we see a perfect representation, the perfect image of who God is, full of grace and truth. And Paul sought to imitate Christ. And the Corinthians had Saul, Paul. They had somebody in the, Christ was no longer physically present. With the Corinthians, but Paul had come through and they had seen Paul's life and his conduct. They knew what he was about, and he says, Imitate me, follow me. We're created to reflect the image of God. The clearest image we have of who God is is found in the person of Jesus. Wayne Grudem, in speaking about the reflection or the image of God, Uh, and us being created for the glory of God. He says, the fact that man is in the image of God means that man is like God in the following ways. Intellectual ability, moral purity, spiritual nature, dominion over the earth. There should be no comma there. Creativity, ability to make ethical choices, and immortality. These are some of the ways that he... Uh, argues that we, we as human beings reflect the glory of God, or the image of God. Another way, got two more here, is to exemplify sexual purity. Back in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, it says, You were bought at a price. Okay, Paul's theological basis for the Corinthians living a holy life in their sexual lives, in the sexual, sexuality part of their lives, was the fact that they were no longer their own. They had been redeemed. They had been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, the costly blood of Jesus Christ that atoned for their sins. And so Paul says, glorify God with your body because you're not your own. You're bought at a price. You have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. So glorify God with your body. With all that you are, give him glory. As one theologian says, God's own glory is the ultimate foundation of Pauline ethics. Often before Paul gives exhortations in what to do ethically, he gives gospel truth of what God has done, who God is, and what God has done in the person of Jesus Christ. Lastly, number nine, you can say amen, is I usually do not have nine points. Y'all know that, right? (laughs) It's nine points today. Plus five on the front end. Um, Excel in building up the saints with your gifts. Okay? This is how we can glorify God. This is what Paul says to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 14 as he's trying to tune them and readjust them and, and get them tuned up to the Spirit, with the Spirit. And with love, so they're not clanging cymbals, making a bunch of noise, just irritating people, because they're out of step with the Spirit and out of step with love. So Paul says, uh, "Since you are eager for the manifestation of the Spirit, that's good. We have the Holy Spirit. We we should we should embrace His work in our lives." But we should strive to excel in building up the church. It's not just about us individually expressing what the Spirit's doing in us. The purpose of spiritual gifts is not to show off those gifts and say, look at how amazing I am. Hear about my experience that I've had with God. The purpose of the gifts is to serve, to build up, to edify, not to exalt ourselves, but to edify others and to glorify God in doing so. Peter puts it like this. He says, As each one has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of the buried grace, of God's very grace. Whoever speaks, as one who speaks the oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So if your gifting is speaking, speak God's words. Speak God's words, not your own opinions and your own words. Speak, speak God's words so that he might be glorified. If your gifting is serving oriented, don't rely on your own strength. Allow yourself to get burned out and frustrated. Rely on God's strength. So that he gets the glory when there's when people are being served well and built up and edified. You can't say, look at how awesome I am. It's not about us. It's about God, and it's about his grace that has been given to us to edify others, to glorify him, to honor him, exalt him. One theologian says that God is glorified when the stability and the continuance of faith of those belonging to the church remains a concern for all believers. And so, for the sake of time, let me move into our application. Let's examine ourselves, saints. Let's not just go with the what of day-to-day grinding. Let's pause and reflect, and, and we should do this every week. We should do this regularly, right? When we take communion, we should examine ourselves. In in the light of the gospel and, and what Christ has done and who he calls us to be. Examine the why behind the what that you do day to day. And see how much of it is truly done for the glory of God and the good of others. Are you marked by joy, love and gratitude in your service to God and others? Or does discontentment, impatience and grumbling surface when you're faced with sacrifice in service to God and to others? And lastly, ask God to help you identify and make any adjustments that need to be made in your heart, in your schedule, in your plans, so that you may fully live for the glory of God. And so I'm going to ask Jenny and the team to come up and lead us in a song about God's worth. Worthy are you, Lord. For from you all are all things, and to you are all things. To you belongs the glory. Is Jesus worth it? Is the Father worth it? Is the Spirit worth it? That we live our lives poured out for Him and for others? He is worth it. I'm reminded of the Moravian missionaries who... We're trying to reach an island of slaves, and the only way to get there was on a boat through selling yourself as a slave. And these Moravian missionaries made a costly sacrifice. And as they did, they could be heard saying, Worthy is the Lamb to receive the reward of his suffering. Worthy is the Lamb. To receive the reward of his suffering. Lord, we say you are worthy. You're worthy of it all. Deliver us from living for things that are so small and meaningless. And lead us, God, into having a big vision of who you are, a clear vision of who you are. Lead us, God, into joy in knowing you. Lead us into delight in doing your will, oh God, for your law is written within our hearts. Consume us the passion, For the glory of your name. In Jesus' name we pray.